This is the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Paul Whitcomb, who has worked for 20 years as a psychiatric nurse with the NHS on the front lines. Um, We talked about the different trainings that he's done with Dan Millman, the author of The Peaceful Warrior, a very famous book about spirituality. Um, His training in NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, the training in uh, shamanic training in Hawaii that he did, Um, his work with the generative change movement currently, Um, and meditating throughout the day, how to take moments out of the day to practice mindfulness. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So welcome, Paul Whitcomb. Thanks very much for joining us. A little bit of context uh, for our conversation. We Mm -hmm. both got into integral life practice uh, around the same time. And integral life practice is, um, for those who don't know, it's sort of combining practices of body, heart, mind and spirit um, into some kind of unique weave or blend um and uh it doesn't tell you which practices to do in those areas those four fundamental domains but um it says that it's important to do something in all of those four areas um and so we we met each other around that and did uh some workshops together and uh that kind of thing and um so we're going to talk today about your personal journey with transformational practices and um and also you know how you came across this integrating uh desire to weave these things together um one of the themes that's come up with talking to other people is that a lot of people have always been this way they've always been interested you know even when they were children in lots of things um and uh, then there's this moment somewhere along the point where the, the, the journey where we feel that <clears throat> we're being pushed to make a decision to choose one thing over the others. Uh, that might be coming from the outside. Some influential person or people in your life are kind of trying to push you that way. Um, yeah. And then you have this sort of moment of revelation where you realize that you don't have to choose. You can actually do all of these things. Um, and that's actually can be a really good thing because they these four fundamental domains of us ourselves potentiate each other and, yeah, they uh, do. yeah so um i wanted to talk to you uh, about this stuff because i know you've you've done lots of different practices in these areas um and you all, i'd love to talk a bit about your work as well waving into this story because you're sort of on the front line with uh, working with um, young people and adults with mental health and, and and all that kind of stuff. So, sound good as a, a context there? Yeah, it's a, it does sound good. It, okay. So, um, yeah. So, this so, is, uh, so where do we where does your journey start with with all of this stuff? I think consciously about stepping off the 
stepping out of the rat race, so to speak, <laughs> or seeing something different, which I always felt was a bit dry pretty much all my life, go, going back, that the kind of, you know, the conventional way of living is, uh, you know, you go to school, get an education, get a job, <clears throat> get married, or, or whatever, and then retire after that. I always found that a bit kind of, there's got to be more. Um, so I kind of stepped off. Um, the, the calling for me was um, kind of always underlining there was something else, something else. I was felt this pulse inside saying, there's more to this, there's more dimensions, there's more aspects kind of going on. And uh, I started reading self-help books in the 90s. Um, and then went around telling everybody else from where I was reading it what was wrong with their lives. Kind of not very helpful in a lot of ways. You kind of lose a lot of people that way. <laughs> ah, you know, ah, it says this in so-and-so. Kind of not really being genuine or authentic with it. So, <sighs> and kind of really realising that was me, kind of, at that point. I wasn't really doing any of those things. And then I read uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior from... Dan Millman and that touched something inside that kind of resonated and I read that book a lot that story that story of his life and they had this mentor teaching him it kind of made sense to me about just practical living everything is a practice you know from the moment you get out of bed and walk through your day it's kind of everything is a practice but where do you start? How do you start that with yourself? And how do you take that seriously with yourself? And then I kind of, it was around about the same time I started my mental health. Well, you just before you leave Dan Millman, you, yeah. you actually went to do some, uh, you know, workshops with him in person. Did you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I've done, done quite a few. He's become yeah. a friend. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's really quite, uh, He's kind of like an A-list spiritual teacher. Um, you know, he's quite a, a big personality. Could you say a little bit more about those workshops and what it was like to work with him in person, having read his book? Because quite often we'll read an influential book, but never take the next step to actually meet that person and check them out as and as an actual person. Because so much of the, the proof is in the pudding. You know, it's... Um, so anyone can write a book, but when you actually meet a person in in face to face, they they transmit um, their own state of being, don't they? And they they can't kind of pretend yeah. about around that stuff. So I mean, perhaps you could describe what kind of things you did in these workshops and what Dan was like as a person. Um, Dan um, wasn't a disappointment from what I saw in the books he is completely genuine to his teaching and authentic to to what he teaches um and what he teaches is really um kind of quite simple but yet not easy so the first workshop i did with him was his courage training which was in um, the omega institute in the states um, and the courage training was uh, um, kind of based uh, around 
Kali martial arts, Filipino martial arts, which is weaponry, but it was all about moving and breathing and to deal with, and about dealing with adversity when under great pressure. So it's about staying relaxed and yet and moving and um, kind of engaging that warrior spirit, but is in his in his teaching in a peaceful way. So um, it was an intense training involving lots of moving and then culminating with about there was 50 plus participants and his um, assistants as well who um, were from various backgrounds and various martial art experts and um, you stood in this big hall and when it was your turn you wait you stood and you waited and then three or four of these assistants come running at you with with a knife wow <laughs> from all directions and and your job was to to maintain breathing um you didn't pass if you stopped breathing um so if your breathing was inhibited in any way and flow and just to move out of the way of this uh these knives coming at you um as best as you can without being hurt so obviously, you know, the good thing about it is the knives were training knives, but um, it still hurt if uh, it was to, to catch you. And yeah, and 50 other people around you as well. And uh, yeah, and kind of that, that philosophy of life, you know, for him, he always says here and now, breathe and relax. You know, you, in every moment, you're doing everything with refinement and grace. You know, this, I think that... What what i've picked up from from the the, the little i've um heard interview you know i've heard a few interviews with him and read the odd bit here and there mm -hmm. he seems to have that almost that kind of japanese zen approach to everything in his life a little bit like you know ev everything's a sacred act no matter how small like putting your shoes on how you yeah. get out of bed how you make your food. Um, I mean, he he was he was a competitive trampoline trampolinist. I think he was. He was a gymnast. A very originally. A, a, a gymnast, yeah, very and high level got, and gymnast. He, and he got selected for the Olympics, the for the US team. Yeah. Um, and he had an accident where um, involving a motorbike, and his leg was pretty pretty much smashed up. And then after that, he went into trampolining. But yeah, his philosophy is, we're talking, you know, starting this off about integrating mind, body, spirit. Mm. He does that. You know, one of the things that he teaches you when you go with him is his peaceful warrior workout, which is takes four minutes to do. And uh, he says, the last time I saw him, so it's probably it's longer now, he says he's done it every day to some sort of fashion for 25 years consistently so uh the last time i saw him was maybe 10 years ago so i would imagine that's still going on 35 years so he teaches that which is a blend of yoga tai chi and some you know push-ups and sit-ups um yeah being mindful in a moment like you say you touched on teaching everything as a practice so you know, one of the stories that, that comes out that he often tells is that when he's talking about his mentor in his book, this 
friend Socrates that guided him, watched him gymnastics once. And Dan, the story always sticks with me, and I quite often tell it, even in my work. He says he did, he's doing the, the bars that I think the, the bars, you know, when you spin around and they got the lower bar. Yeah. And he says, I hit, I, he goes, I did the best routine I ever did. And I hit the dismount perfectly. And he talks, oh, I then went, walked over, and he goes, um, you know, got me t shirt, threw me top down, took me top off, threw it in my bag. And I said, Sock, I said to Sock, Sock, what, what do you think? And he goes, Well, your last move was pretty sloppy. And Dan says, Yeah, but I, that's the best I've ever done it. I hit, I nailed that dismount. And Socrates looks at him and goes, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about the way you threw your top into your bag. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of things Dan says, there are no ordinary moments. Each moment is special. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of a, there's a Zen story about um, some Zen master really having a go at his, his students for forgetting which were their shoes when they put all the, where their shoes were in the, the racks where they put all their shoes when they, when they go inside the, um, the Zen temple that, you know, they're there doing all this kind of hardcore Zen practice, but, um, you know, what's the good of all of that if you can't even find your sh where you put your shoes? You know, you haven't got the presence of mind to know where you put your shoes when you when you walk into the, yeah. the zendo. Um, yeah. So that yeah that that kind of um, meticulous attention to all the details in your life, um, and using the opportunity to make anything in your life. Uh, a special meaningful or sacred act is is quite it's a very simple concept but it's it's very hard to do because it's all about remembering you know so much of these all of these practices particularly the spiritual ones are more a case of actually just remembering um which is a very difficult thing to do with all the distractions in life isn't it yeah mm. yeah yeah and you know for, for him he said that's he he became a writer because um one of the well one of the things that he says that he he learned to write or started writing because he didn't have enough words to be able to explain what it is that he learned and what he was doing and that so he's yeah that that's him uh, I suppose I, ca I can't really speak anymore about that because you'd really have to That's ask fine. him. Yeah. Um, well, but, yeah. So, we, you know, we, we're recommending people read his book and, and then take that further if those things. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. it's some great books. And uh, the greatest teaching that he ever gave me was never at his workshops. He doesn't even know this. So if he ever watches this, he'll, he will learn. And one day maybe I'll tell him. He... Um, for me, he, he is somebody that he lives what he what he teaches. He lives it what he teaches. You know, you can email him. Anybody can email him. I said this. You can email him now, and he'll respond to you within forty eight hours. Uh, that's I think incredible. But um, I met him in London. I've met him from for gone out for meals with him a couple of times when he's come over to do workshops. And um, we met up in London. I can't remember whereabouts, but we went to a Wagamama's. And he just flown via LA to Germany, and then from Germany to London. 
Um, and we all got there and both him and I needed the loo. So we went off to the, to the loo together. We come and I come out ahead of him and I was looking at him cooking the food as, as you can in Wagamama's. And he walked out <laughs> behind me and out of the corner of my eye, I just seen him breathe and relax. And I've never seen anybody just let go. I've never seen it. It's just an energetic thing. And I'm doing it now. My hair's starting to stand on head end. He just completely transformed. He just, everything just let go. He, he almost rippled when, when he did it. And that's, that's stuck with me ever since that, you know, wow, you can get to that level. He's, you know, he's 65 years of age and he's more supple than what I am. And he's, what, 20 odd years older than me. And I just thought, wow, wow. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the kind of transmission you get from people in person that you don't really get through reading books. No. Um, so that you know, speaks to the importance of not just reading books, but if, you, if you're very much interested in a person's work, you can actually take the next step and find that, that person um, you know, to spend time with. Because there's a transmission that comes through that's different, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think... I, from his workshop, I got a structure, I think. A kind of structure, I didn't know it at the time, but it's kind of a structure that's kind of slowly <laughs> through um, some of the, my, my filters that, and my blocks and my kind of ways of kind of interpreting and seeing things and beliefs and values at the time. It slowly kind of held that. And it spoke very deeply to me to where I'm at now about, yeah, I kind of finding more of the teachings that I've had from, or that I've learnt through uh, workshops with Dan. I'm probably engaging with them more now, more consciously now than what I was at the time. I think I was just wanting to do all sorts of different stuff and not really settling in and settling in one, which, uh, yeah. That, that's a, an important thing to bring up, is that at the time, different bits of information um, take root in our lives at different times. Like, you know, it's, it's the, the old thing of the fruit is only right when it's ripe, or the ground is only the right conditions for the seeds to grow at whatever time of year. And, you know, people can sometimes think that they need to sort of get the entire download in one go. Um, but, yes. you know, what that, you know, you can, if things are not landing in the moment, then you, it, that will never go away. There's always a part of your kind of subconscious, which is always trying to get a handle on this stuff. And it can take years for, for suddenly the opening to happen and then it just kind of, takes root yeah so it's something i found in my life that yeah yeah it's things been... that didn't make sense at the time but i thought i know this is important because it's coming from a source i respect so i'm just going to kind of bear that in mind i kind of put that back in the sort of subconscious storage somewhere and then one day it's just out of nowhere boof it's like whoa i don't get it now um yeah 
Yeah, I think this is, this is a couple of this quote that's come to my mind. It's a very common quote. Well, I think it's a very common quote. It might not be, which is knowledge is only a rumor until it's in a muscle in the muscle. So, up, you know, reflecting back on Dan, you read the book. The books resonate. Um, as I was saying earlier, I kind of read Peaceful Warrior eight times. Um, and then it was several years after that. I did my nurse training. I then I did NLP training. So, so I was getting all this stuff. And then I read this, the sequel to Peaceful Warrior, which was Sacred Journeys. And that really, that, that's the book that gave me the courage to kind of say, I can't, I need to change direction. So let's pick up the story there then. If that's all right. Yeah, that, that's the book that said I need to change direction. I wasn't happy with my life. I, I kind of, I felt that I was mechanical. I felt life was, was mechanical. I was just doing what um, I kind of, I don't know how put the word doing the quotes, just kind of just going to work, doing a nine to five job, coming home. Um, my wife and I, at the time, you know, I was married, I still am married, but um, I wasn't happy, I wasn't happy, I wasn't happy with the direction that we was going in. We seemed to be fighting a lot. I became very insular. I went really inside myself. I was not depressed, but stuck. And everything kind of like, there, there was something more, there was this something more. And reading Dan's book, Sacred Journeys, I don't know whether it's because it was, maybe it had a little bit more of a spiritual element. He, you know, the, the backdrop, he had a different teacher. She was like a Hawaiian sh shaman and uh, all these magical things. He'd go on inner dreams and all these things. And there was one bit in there I can remember about, uh, I don't know, just resonating. And I decided, no, I, I need to go on. He even talked in that book at the beginning that he wasn't happy in his life and he had to change. And there was something going on for him. And I just thought, ah, that resonated with where I was at that time. So it kind of planted a seed. And I think a few years after that, or maybe not long after that, I, my wife and I separated. I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this, which was very crushing. And then that's when I thought he must have a website. And that's where I found him and went off and did workshops. And I thought, I've got to meet this guy. Um, the, uh, one of the definitions of, of uh, Dukkha, uh, which is a, a Buddhist word, is uh, sometimes they call that um, translated suffering, but the, the word dukkha also means stuck. Um, and that, that feeling of discomfort of not moving freely, you know, having that kind of continuous energetic flow. Um, and, and that's often kind of cited as one of the motivating forces to actually take up some of these practices to uh, make your life better <laughs> and um yeah it's uh, <coughs> quite quite common um you know it's certainly been the case with me at different times in my life where i felt that stuckness to sort of try and push it away because it's such an uncomfortable feeling 
Um, but that sense of stuckness is trying to give you, trying to tell you something, is, isn't it, really? Uh, and <clears throat> we can listen to that message or we can bury it, but it's not going to go away. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose the, the next step is to think well, what's, a, what's a sane um, and uh, courageous yet caring way to go about getting unstuck. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was kind of thinking that, as you were saying that then, that, that I've always trusted my guts. Never been able to, I've always often struggled to articulate what I feel. Um, which kind of, I think, has been a, a kind of blessing and a curse in some ways, because I use other people kind of I, I got into the habit of using other people's words to kind of explain what was going on rather than finding it within myself to explain that. And that, but we, that we, we, all, we all start that way when you learn, yeah. you know, anybody who learns anything, you, yeah. you that's how it goes. And now I think we shouldn't feel uh, bashful about that. I certainly, <laughs> you know, did, did and do the same thing. And uh, I've got to a certain point where I was like, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm just going to do it until it becomes my own and that will just happen, you know, at the right moment. Yeah, yeah. But what, what was coming to is that is that even in that stuckness and just thinking, oh, life, I'm not this, life is not this, it's kind of, What's the, what's the word? I kind of that sense of me, making myself small. Contracting. Contracting and contracting inside and making myself small and and, may, and not appreciating. I think it was that, that, it's kind of the opposite to kind of what was, what Dan was teaching really is that appreciate there are no ordinary moments. So, you know, you get used to your life, I think. And you kind of get used to what you're doing. It kind of becomes comfortable, even when it's uncomfortable. You know, yeah. the better the devil you know than the devil you don't scenario. And you just think, you don't give it that meaning that that kind of what you're doing and what you're touching on is important. That it is special. It's it's not ordinary just because other people are doing it. And uh, I suppose I've got wisdom now and experience to kind of look back on it. But at that time, you know, I was doing something important one of the things that on the courage training that dan had you do which was or invited you to do was to stand up say your name your age and where you're from and uh i, I can't remember the exact things and then just people just got up and applauded you just for being a human being and just for living the life that you've lived no matter what you've done and that was an incredible experience i have no words to kind of explain how that affects you at the time but um yeah i i've often thought that everybody is a complete expert at being themselves and if you if you were to swap into someone else's life for i don't know a month or something most likely you'd come out of it going, oh my God, this person, what this person is able to do every day is amazing. You know, because it, it was so different to, um, you know, if, if we were to swap lives, 
I w- I'd probably come out the end of that experience going, oh my God, Paul is like some kind of um, genius or got, got just unending depths of um, courage, you know, in whatever his life is or unending energy or something like that. And, but they're all, lives are so, they're unique and specific and so different that um, yeah, we, ca- we can't even imagine what life is like for another person. Even if it's just if someone had chronic pain, for example, if you don't have chronic pain and you swap lives with someone who had chronic pain and you did a month of that, you come out thinking, wow, this person is tough beyond things I imagined. Or just, you know, that's just an example. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I talking of chronic pain, there's been two sig- interesting points in my life where I, but I've had chronic back issues. Um, which resulted in surgery last September. But even at the time, I'm kind of going back to when I read Dan's second book, Sacred Journeys. I, um, prior to my wife and I separating in February of 2006, um, I'd been off work for about three months in incredible pain with my back. And I had an epidural that kind of freed it up um and got me moving again and that's when i decided that well no i was being in some ways the the chronic back was holding me back as if to say you need to reevaluate your life this is i'm holding you back because this is not your journey this is not your path there was a strange as that may seem i can look back on it now each time when my back has got in my way i've made changes and and then my back's eased for a few years and then i got in stuckness again kind of in in a lot of ways or i needed to slow down and i think start to put into practice and download all this information and all this experiences that i've been on because i think i started with dan and then i went into something else then i went into something else and then i then integral which we could then teaching integral and it was like wow i'm kind of this life all this fancy is going on these holidays and going on this was kind of kind of like a fantasy in some ways I was doing them rather than bringing them into my life rather than well I've got all these tools now where, where do I apply all these tools and feeling very lost and very confused so that would be one of the things that I would say to people when you're doing things is just make sure you're building pauses make sure yeah. you're building pauses and, and reflections yeah, one of the people I was uh, talking to um, recently, she said that, uh, well, the, the, there's this moment where you, you're a bit like a child in a candy store where there's just, there's so many things you can do, so many practices you can do to make, to explore life, that there's this kind of overwhelming moment where it's all an offer and you don't quite know how you're going to squeeze all of that in. Mm. Um, and then as time goes on, you sort of, it, the, the list of things that you to do kind of whittles down and you, you start to gravitate towards some smaller number of practices that become your familiar mainstays. 
Um, so is that to kind of uh, resonate a bit with you, what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's next in your, in your journey then? So you, uh, you'd, you'd sort of gone to see Dan Millman, done these workshops. Um, then you, was it, you said uh, you did a nurse training. I did that in, uh, again, that was an interesting thing. I, I never, ever entered my head at all, even though I was working in care. And that was interesting how I got into that. Again, I was working as a road labourer. My back went. I was off work for a while. Mum got me a job in a residential home where she was working as a carer. I went in there as a waiter and then moved into care and then um, started to become interested in psychology. I'd been reading a lot of self-help books. As I said, I thought, oh, I want to go on and do psychology. I, I always felt this um, call, this to serve not serve but to help people just to help people feel better and understanding I was always as a teenager um, have you got a problem come and talk to me and um, I was working in these different nursing homes and the, the trained staff was saying to me oh you ought to be a psychiatric nurse you'd be really good as a psychiatric nurse I was like what uh, I was like, why are these people telling me I want to do psychiatric nursing? I want to do psychology. Stop telling me about psychiatric nursing. I didn't know what psychiatric nursing was. Never really entered my head what it was. And then for some strange reason, and I don't know how, this is life, my family started saying to me, Paul, we've been thinking about you. You're working in this. Why don't you do psychiatric nursing? We think you'd be really good as a psychiatric nurse. And you talk about how, like, well, I applied then to the university nursing funding or holds it for people that want to go into training. They turned me down. I thought, well, see, this psychiatric nursing thing, I've got turned down for it. It's not what I'm meant to do. And then Bournemouth University phoned me up and said, we've got a place for you. Wow. So I ended up to be learning about yeah, becoming a psychiatric and a mental health nurse. And uh, never, as the first time as a student, I walked onto an acute psychiatric ward. I was very nervous. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never done it before. Um, but it's been incredible. That, that, that knowledge, um, that whole journey and what a nurse is, it's almost like I've kind of arced in my journey now. Is uh, I was asked last year um, by a by a team leader, as if to say, what what model do you use in your when working with clients? Um, which is kind of taking me kind of a little bit into the negative side of things, really. With in mental health with CAMs, there's a lot of therapy, so. You either have to be trained in CBT or DBT or some form of recognised therapy that the NHS endorses. And I've got knowledge in a lot of them, but the ones that I'm trained in, they're, they're not accepted. So NLP, a little bit of hypnotherapy that I'm trained in. Um, oh, and the other stuff that I've done, in metaphysical training or anything. But 
I have a natural way of understanding the work. I really love dialectical behavioral therapy. I suppose that's because I've done Zen stuff or done training with Dan. It has a a, a, a resonance. So I just get it. Um, and I said, I don't. I said, I just bring it all in. I've had in-house training. So she goes, well, you can't say that you've used the CBT approach. You can't say that you've used the DBT approach if you've not trained in it. And I come away from it feeling quite hurt, quite upset. Uh, oh, I do great work. I do good connections with people. I've had great results with people. And now I'm being told that what I do is, and I just thought, actually, what, am, what, what is my profession? I'm a nurse. And there's no real, in terms of training, what nurses do and what nurses get, no better therapist really for what a nurse is. A nurse is always helping a person to become their own. A nurse holds the light for somebody and gives the light back to them so that they can take it on. You're alongside somebody. You're a mentor. You're a coach. There's, there's none of this kind of what therapeutic approach you are. You just see a human being and you help a human being really connect back to their essence so that they can go on. And I just thought, wow, I've done this nursing, I've done all this other stuff, and now I've just realised, actually, that nursing is all that stuff that I've gone out and done. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, they, kind of really, like, bizarre, and I'm kind of like, right, yeah, stop. You, that, that raises um, quite an, uh, a common and important thing, that a, a lot of people feel that, well they don't feel they they know that they are good at something because people tell them that they are they they feel it themselves and they get results but they don't have the the lists of the the after their name the you know the msc the the ba the 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 phd and all of that stuff and and they all the our society is very kind of obsessed with with some kind of credit credit uh, accreditation and uh you know you've you've done this thing and you've someone stamped it and said yes this person does blah, thing this thing blah 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 but it doesn't always mean that you actually understand what you have got that accreditation for i mean so, someone can go and do a weekend workshop in something or like 10 weekends work workshops in, in something and then they get a stamp at the end saying they've completed this course but that person might not have ever been changed by their training and become the person they need to be whereas someone else might be that person already but not have these uh you know stamps of approval along the way and it's it's a mm. bit of a problem really i think and um and also when it comes to you know this more hybrid approach to transformational practices or spiritual practice that you know you and i are into and a lot of people are into that doesn't really fit into the pigeonholes of the traditions that have come before um and uh you know so someone might say oh well you know what who's who's been your teacher in this and and what what trainings have you done in this this and this and they're sort of more interested in that than who you are as a person or what what are the actual results that you get in your life or um so there's a there's a mismatch there that's 
that's a real bummer. I mean, I understand the importance of it's yeah. when you're looking at 50 applicants and you've got to make a quick decision, you're going to look at the, the people who have got the most qualifications. It's the sort of the easiest way to pigeonhole people. But going beyond that, if you really want to get quality people involved in anything, you've really got to get to know them. Uh, and someone who has no qualifications or it might be absolutely have the most incredible natural affinity for a particular role. Um, but that's only going to come through people getting to know them. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I've got the answer to all this, but it's, it's quite a common thing to encounter. No. And this, uh, I don't know whether juxtaposition in terms of, of, with that and terms of how self-relating you know intrapersonal relating with it as well with saying that it took kind of what last year so i've been a mental health a qualified mental health professional since 2001 um and i think it's because i never really had that initial desire to be a psychiatric nurse I was wanting to do psychology. I could see something more in terms of helping people. I don't know why psychology. I thought I'd find the answers by being a psychologist. Um, but it was like, it, I kind of, so I never really took the training. I valued what it was to be a, a psychiatric nurse. Yeah, you'd learn all these things. You'd get this. You're kind of like a jack of all trades and a master of none, really, as a nurse. So I suppose i just did enough just to, to get by i never got the you know i always got a pass i thought well it's fine it's all i want i just want to pass i'm not worried about being 80 100 and all that which kind of was in some ways when i look back at that that was kind of me value you know that was the sense of value i had for myself too at that time and where i was at it wasn't really kind of not happy in my <coughs> personal life, not truly happy in my personal life. So then not really valuing what it was to be a nurse. Yeah. And then <clears> well, so, that, I mean, it's, if, if you're going to do a training, it's kind of worth doing it to your full really. Exactly. I mean, that, you know, I mean, you can look back, it's easy to say that in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so I've kind of got, got to be kind of grateful for what it's given me. It's given me a great understanding of um symptoms well that's something i wanted to ask you is so you you've been working on the front lines with people in ex, in an ex, in extreme psychological distress um in your role as a psychiatric nurse you must have had a had a kind of handful of things you've taken away personally from that work um lessons about the mind or the emotions or um that that or maybe you haven't i mean is there what you know if if someone said if someone you you know you met someone somewhere and, and they said what you know what what are the sort of the the handful of lessons you've you've taken away from that experience of it's hardcore work you've been doing i mean uh, i mean i don't I'm not asking you to go into too many details because it's a lot of it's confidential, but um, you know, you, you've, you've seen sides of people that most people will never see. <laughs> no, 
Um, and I, I kind of struggle. I think with, I don't want to be derogatory towards the NHS. I think um, they're an emergency service and I think they do a great job of um, helping people to get back on their feet. However, a lot of people um, need help. They, they need constantly picking up. So for me, that tells me, hang on, this, there's something not quite working right. Every now and again, people manage to turn their lives around. And I think that that's in spite of the help that they get. So for me, the NHS is, or my experience within the NHS has been very medical model. It's very, we see, it's, we're treating symptoms. So people will come in and go, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I've got this going on and I've got that. And we'll go, yeah, you've got anxiety or yeah, you've got depression. So we need to treat the depression. And I think it's, it's partial. It's not really, it's saying it's a holistic approach, but it's, it's very prescriptive. If you, you know, you, you fit these symptoms, you've got anxiety, right? You, you're going to have cognitive behavioral therapy. And I, I kind of struggle with that. And it might be because of the other stuff that I've done. I read a book last year by a guy called Benjamin Fry. He's, he's a therapist now, but he's called The Invisible Lion. And in that book, he explains um, men mental health symptoms through the nervous system. And it's the best explanation of mental health that I've ever had. Really. That it's, it's, that it, it, we're treating symptoms, not causes. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably, I probably have gone off, you know, I've had informants from NLP. I did shamanic training in Hawaii. Um, and in that, they said, you need to look at reality. If reality doesn't make sense on one level, you need to go to another level. So you might need to go to a scientific level. You might need to go to a metaphysical level or shamanic level. And it will make sense on all that. But And kind of fast forwarding to the work I've done with Stephen Gilligan and Robert Diltz with the um, generative coaching. And I remember talking about that book the first time I met you at yours when I'd read The Hero's Journey. And that was the Stephen Gilligan and Robert Dilt's book at that time. And it was like, wow. But um, so, so on the front line, I just think there's such good people in, in health, such incredibly good people that have been taught a way of working that to do it, that just help people. And this is what they need. And this is what they are. Um, I don't like the fact that we reduce people to um, conditions. That, that doesn't just sit comfortably with me. You know, well, you've got anxiety. So Benjamin Fry, um, in his book, he struggled with trauma. He struggled with stuff and every now and again, he'd think he'd be getting right. And then all of a sudden these things would come back. These emotional disturbances would come back being depressed. He says, I go to the doctor and he goes, I say to the GP, oh, I've got this, this, this and this. And, he, and the GP would go, you're depressed. He goes, yeah, I know. He goes, can you tell me what's causing it? And the doctor goes, well, it's because, you, it's because you're doing this and because of this and because you haven't got that and because you die. So he goes, yeah, I know. I know. I know. You're not telling me something that I don't know. He goes, it's a bit like, that. He, and he put uh, an an example in the book of it's a bit like going to the doctor you've got a bruised ankle 
and you go to the doctor, can you tell me what's wrong with my ankle? He goes, yeah, it's all bruised. You go, yeah, I know it's bruised. Can you tell me what's causing the bruising? Can you tell me? And they usually give an x-ray and they look in it and they might, they might see something in there that what's causing the bruising and causing the inflammation. But he says in mental health, it's not that. People get these symptoms and it gets, he goes, they put it in the DSM or the ISD, but with all these symptoms which can't be explained physically. And then you go in a way treating these things. But he says through the nervous system, when you look at trauma work, and if you look at trauma, things get stuck in the muscles. It makes sense. So things get locked down. And, and again, people, yeah, there's far more to it, I think. So what, one of the things I'm, I'm hearing you say is that, you know, the NHS has got limited resources and it's a sort of frontline emergency thing it's um the sort of best you could we can do in a bad situation um but really to 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 have lasting change um we need to get away from this cookie cutter off the shelf um approach and categorizing pigeonholing um I mean, this is a pattern that you've seen across education and politics, um, uh, different types of health, uh, nutrition. That there's no, I mean, for, if you take nutrition, for example, there's not one diet that is universally healthy. I mean, different people need different types of foods to thrive. Mm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things you and I are interested in is being unique uh, self-authored people and working in community with other people that have that same approach and that we're not um, you know picking something off the shelf that's 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 you know pre-packaged and you know you just follow the you don't even need to think anymore you're just sort of on the track and it just carries you along um, well, that that was that was you know w one of the things uh, that um, I'm I'm this coming up for me, and I, I think is is reflecting the time we live in that we which there's a lot of um, people searching for what lies beyond this kind of cookie cutter thing, and we and and a bit more tailored, individually tailored therapy. But I mean, it's it's expensive sometimes to do that or requires a lot of time and effort. And that's not something the NHS doesn't have a lot of time and doesn't have a lot of money and, and those sort of things. Um, it doesn't have to involve money to do this stuff. I mean, you know, um, a lot of the people we know who are into this kind of approach, they're not rich people. And a lot and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of this doesn't even require money, but it, it, it requires care and attention and time and that kind of thing. And the other thing is um, this thing of treating the symptoms rather than the causes. And in a way, that's getting to the cause, the root of these problems requires a lot of time and effort and careful attention. And that's, again, that's not something that, uh, you know, some of these broader approaches that are just trying to treat everybody with one one approach um that's kind of lacking from that because of the lack of resource resources um so it's kind of a conundrum we find ourselves in because we know that the the root the root out of this problem 
is a more individualized tailored therapy for people in how to make their lives better but it's so easy it's so difficult to deliver that on a massive scale through a government funded body or maybe it isn't i mean i don't know so uh, you you've been working in this stuff and i haven't so that's just along from the outside it, it, that's it, my it, that's my layman's view of it it's it's a long conversation and i kind of and it, it, and, it, and i think it does require a lot of creative conversation to kind of find it it's the um there's a lot of systemic stuff really you know human beings in a lot of ways we're, we're meaning makers so if we give things negative meaning the chances are that's gonna that's how we're gonna see things you know Oh, I can't do it. This is impossible. Um, one of the things the NHS does is you go from one assessment to another assessment. You're kind of being asked the same stuff all over again. You're constantly in this story. It's playing on inside a person anyway. And then outside of it, we're doing that so that we can get the understanding, so that we can find the right treatment for them. And I just think sometimes we kind of, uh, kind of comes back to that go, go back to Dan Millman again Dan Millman lives what he teaches do you know do you have time when you're working in frontline services to live what you teach you know if you're a dialectical behavioral therapist are you practicing the, the, the pathways of mindfulness, of interpersonal skills or interpersonal skills, um, the middle way, you know, these are all kind of aspects on it. E emotional regulation skills, you know, uh, you, you practice in distress tolerance skills for yourself. You know, and people have a way, yeah, I practice it. I get to the end of the week and I have a glass of wine. That, that helps me to relax. So I get to the end of the day. And, and you kind of think, well, how healthy is that? You know, and I know I've done looked at stuff kind of away from that. Yeah, it's that they all can be helpful, but are they enough to kind of to move you forward, to kind of heal? You know, one of the things that I'm kind of in the generative work that I do and the training that I've had is that a symptom is a sign that something is wanting to heal, something is wanting to come through. You know, it's not something to be got rid of, it's something to transform. And that language sits with me better than um, you need to take a, an antidepressant. You know, yeah, well, it, it reminds me of what we were saying earlier that, um, yeah. uh, say, when your life feels a bit stuck, that's your subconscious or whatever, um, your deep emotional self saying that it's very unhappy with the way things are. And it's like, please do something about this. Hello, <laughs> come in HQ. Um, and uh, if we ignore that message um, or we just sort of deal with that sense of discomfort through addiction um to whatever say alcohol or something to just numb that 
pain it's like dial down the intensity of that message then the tra a transformation in your life has never happened there because you're just you're just trying to deal with the symptoms not the the root cause um and one of the tr trick you know one of the things i mean i but personally believe is that to deal with the the root causes to a lot of these problems requires this integrated approach of integrating body heart mind and spirit yeah that that you know that's the way out so but that's a little bit seems if, if you're working in one of these big organizations that's there's so much there that it's so much easier to just give someone a pill say look just take this pill it make you feel better but um, you know there are all of these practices like meditation, psychotherapy, psychedelics, martial arts, weightlifting. Um, you know, learning some of these theories out there, which you know can help us make sense, make, help us make meaning uh, out of out of life. That that all of those things can be harnessed to make your life better. Um, mm. And uh, quite often when, when people really do get better, they've, they've taken on a lot of these things and, and they, they're living uh, the, the, what they're, you know, living, walking the talk. Um, that, that's the, a, a path that's open to, to anybody um, with enough help from other people and also self-motivation. Yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of things is very systemic. You know, the NHS is held by societies and that those opinions, you know, people bring those opinions in. They project, we, you know, we've done shadow work and that we've, we've talked about projections and how we project onto other people. It's always, it's not my fault, it's, it's their fault. Well, it's, if you're feeling it, it's in you, it's not in somebody else. That's kind of where I've got to. I might be feeling hate towards somebody I hope not but um, I don't want you know, that's in me it's not in them mm. I might it's be quite, feeling quite a hard pill for us to swallow that I, mean, I might <laughs> I might be feeling lovely. yeah yeah you know I kind of look around kind of about violence you know there's been interesting times with lockdown with black lives matter um, and all this the way that we're discriminating with each other and coming out with that and then people but at the same breath people saying to somebody well you're an idiot you know and look at all the stuff donald trump gets oh i hate donald trump he's a wanker or, or whatever I, I don't like what he says i don't like how he behaves <laughs> You know, I don't like that, but I think if I'm calling him an idiot, if I'm calling him whatever, I'm I'm no different to him. Mm. I'm no different to that which I'm saying, which may be that I'm raging against or feeling rage for or feeling love and compassion for. And I, I, I kind of feel that that arc, that journey that's taken me back to something that I felt. A, a, a feeling always comes to me years ago. I was laying in King's Park. I was eight, nine, and just looking at the sky. And I kind of, many people say it, that, wow, 
this is wow this is incredible to be part of this and i was lost in the sky probably my first meditation experience of uh, you know having a spiritual awakening or a, just a state of ah wow because I, I i don't know really but i that often that memory often comes back to me that there is that that that's something more and why why do people behave that the way that they they do what is it that nature is set up for us and you see it kind of a lot you see it with birds doing where you know they're trying to attract the female the male birds they're all decorative they show up they don't get it we do it we dress up comb our hair go off when we're teenagers and partying into a bit older to nightclubs and you know try and attract the opposite member of sex or same sex or whatever look at me on the outside and this that and the other and then we start to get to know someone and all of a sudden we start to not like things about them and start accusing them of stuff start telling them that they're this and that they're that we're really what we want to be saying is and i think non-violent communication you know mvc really says it well when i notice you do this i feel this and I think that's coming to me more now because I've been on the other side. I've been that making myself feel better by telling other people that they're wrong, that they're no different or trying to live up to other people's expectations about myself rather than be genuine to who I want to be. That's one of those um, sort of uh, theories that is really liberating is this this psychological theory of shadow and projecting projection and once you understand that's how our minds work you really can start to do the hard work of not projecting your crap out there onto other people in the world and start to own it and, and let that change you for the better um, but it's it's hard work but you know the first step is that piece of information there that there is such a thing as shadow and projection that that's extremely liberating and life-changing to have that piece of that bit, bit of theory um mm -hmm. is is really helpful so we kind of got off a little bit off your your story so um i'd love to hear more about the shamanic training in hawaii that sounds really interesting that was a week of intensive stuff in uh, 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 the Huna philosophy is taught by Serge Kahili King. Um, and the, the, the best way of explaining that is the, the first thing that we did when we met up and we went outside is he got us to walk through a lava tube. The lava tube, we said, was the initiation. He goes, you walk through that. When you come out the other side, it's about that you're accepting that you're going to start looking at life differently. And that the whole week was based on um, just tuning into nature and tuning into the elements. So kind of having that awareness of looking at the patterns of air, the patterns of wind, the patterns of water, looking at animals, just watching them, and just what you felt inside when you watched them and how you could merge with them. You know, it's saying that you can shapeshift with, with anything really, but just by just imagine your energy blending with their energy and just walking with it but just tune into the patterns of nature and just understand that with what's you and the, the the lesson from that as well is 
when you know the pattern, you can understand the pattern, you can change it. So if you're looking at your own habits, the way that you're talking and this, when you become aware of it, something might take somebody to point out and you think, then you can start, then you can start to change it. You can look at what it is that's reinforcing it. And then what you need to do to heal it. So if I go back to my mental health training, somebody that's depressed, I've never seen a depressed person doing this. They might have a moment where they do something and I'll go, yay, but they quite often go back. They have inhibited breathing. The breath's not moving through the body properly. They, they've, they're folded over on themselves. Their head is down. And there's a lot of stuck energy that's become really heavy and in the body. Mm. And so you look at that, you look at that one, you look at that somatic pattern and you just think, What's the conversation that needs to go on there? What's the communication going on there? How is that body holding that experience of depression in place? Well, in, in that circumstance, would you feel moved to not even talk to somebody because <clears throat> their body is telling a story um, that, you, that you, you might actually just say well look let's try a different let's try a different posture you know like why don't you stand up and hold your arms out like this for a minute and then you, let's talk about how you feel after doing that yeah i mean that, that that's what i do now and I, that's kind of the training that i've had through generative work through um predominantly stephen gilligan and trance work was you know our first language and as a musician um, this will probably resonate with more with you that it, it does a little bit with me but our first language is music our first language is poetry it's symbolic it's not words you know words i think i've been looking back at ken's book no boundaries when he says that as soon as we give words to something we've changed it it's no longer it's no longer what it is it's no longer what it really is it's become something else so um so it's that what are the words what is so going back to the show i don't want to lose the thread on the shamanic stuff and yeah yeah something sure else. i think they all link i think a lot a lot of what i've done it is all very interwoven and very very links and just um the the, I, I, I won't I won't get the word right, but there's it, what's the the famous Hawaiian prayer that is it Hona. I, I can't get the name, but you know you know the name Honopono or something like that. Ah, uh, Honopono Pono. Yeah, yeah. So you can see yeah. why I didn't get it's that ho, word right. Oh, po, no, po, no. Yeah, was that was that part of your shamanic training? Because people might have heard of that that prayer. Nah, um, Serge never did that Ho'oponopono okay. training. I've heard you, you've um, talked about it before. We've, yeah, well, I've done it through the, the Dr. Hugh Len and the Joe Vitale version of it, where it's that mantra of, apparently, if you, the, the, the way that that works is that you, this four-stage mantra of, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. It, it brings everything back to zero that opportunity to start again. 
so everything has a has a vibration and it but but that that's a different one okay. you say yeah you say that you know i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you and it so if you've got a poor relationship with money if you was just to hold your bank card and go i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you it will your relationship with money will start to improve um I, th I think it does work i think a lot of it comes with belief of what you project out there as well so um but it's very interesting but the traditional ho'oponopono is cord cutting so in hawaii they have this uh, or in the, the huna tradition they have these things that we um we give out what they call aki cords they uh, the best way to imagine them is just like imagine the tubes in intensive care we've got all these tubes coming into your body that every time we meet somebody we we um these aki cords move so we exchange energy back and forth i think in neurosciences say now that we have mirror neurons in the brain and we have a limbic system that resonates so we pick up empathically and through the limbic system it's a music it's a dance you know it's just like when you walk into a room you kind of if there's been a row in there you don't need anybody to tell you it's in the atmosphere you feel it it's all of a sudden you just tune in to the energy that that's in there and you can hold that tension and that tension can get stuck so people might become depressed they go i've had a really great life i don't know why but that they might have just been picking up all this stuff and not knowing that they need to release it in themselves and i think that's where the the shamanic training up kind of that you've got to know the pattern listen to what the pattern's going on tune in is it what do you feel what do you see what do you hear you know what do you smell what do you taste tune into all your senses because your senses not your thoughts which are words but your senses are what's in tune with nature because they're a part of nature they belong in nature the human mind has been able to you know, we've been able to describe things and to create things and to become from this and imagine things. It's given us a wonderful ability to imagine things. So, you know, why you get that you get for a lot of things is the, the inner world is no different to the outer world. Your dreams will cause your, the way that you imagine things and give meaning to things um, will work with the inner world as much as the outer world. Because it's in you, you experience it in you. So it's that everything's a waking dream. So if I have a nightmare, they, they would say, or Serge would say, if you have a dream and you don't like the dream, you don't like, oh, you wake up sweating from it. He goes, you need to talk. This here is a parent to this here. So that the conscious mind is the parent to the unconscious mind. So you need to say to it, like you would say to, to your sons if you don't like what they're doing you might say as your parent i'm not liking what it is that you're doing i would prefer it if you were to do this so they say to the unconscious you've got to say to the unconscious i don't like the messages that you're giving me up here can you give it me in a way that i can understand it and receive it because i want to help you but when we're caught up in habit and we we, we don't know we um we don't realize that that's what we've got to do. We've got to retrain the unconscious because it will keep doing what it keeps doing if that's what it's used to, if it's not given another direction.
it will just follow and it will follow the direction outside if we're not giving it direction or we're not being consistent with it so i can bring that habit up with diet in my sense i can say to myself right i'm going to do this and then before i know it there should the shadows come up and i've done something else and it's just like i'm not being consistent enough in the direction but say diet yeah i mean it's like <clears throat> there are people that have a good relationship with their conscious mind and their subconscious mind you know it's a sort of like a harmony between mind and emotions or something in the same way that they might be good parents and have a good relationship with their children um mm -hmm. and and we're all we're always striving to have a better relationship between our you know cognitive logical mind and our our, our subconscious unconscious emotional more emotional um selves and it's kind of like a life's work isn't it to refine that relationship and make it ever more wise and caring <clears throat> yeah i mean it can be one of the things that i've got I get, I get with generative work and that generative process is that you know the key thing for that is you can't solve a problem if you're in a problem state or what we would call a crash state so you have to get yourself into what we would then say is the opposite to a crash, which is a coach state. So it's a much more optimal state. So you're feeling freer. You've got relaxation in the body and you're aware of what the body's saying. So all these hand movements, these gestures people do and what they're talking, that's their music. Oh, that's interesting. I noticed when I said that you did this. What's that technique for? What's that serving? And it might be at a time somebody was saying something that they did that just to protect themselves, but it's got stuck and they keep using that pattern. But in situations where they don't need to do it. Well, that, that's when uh, working with other people is so important because you, a lot of these things, you don't even know you're doing it when you're doing it. But if you're in a relationship with another person or a group of people where you trust them and there's there's love and respect and care in that group, it's safe. Um, and people have got your permission to and, and you know, that you've they've got your permission, you've got their permission to actually comment on things like that and say, why, why, why do you keep flinching when you do whatever? Um, it's almost it's quite often the first time people even realize they're doing that um i mean i've been doing it by listening to myself back in some of the interviews i've done with people noticed things that i i never even knew i do um i i, I do I try, i'm trying to get better at it but i was saying you know all the time you know you know uh, lots and lots of ums and in the moment i didn't even realize i was doing it but uh looking back at it and it's having that perspective outside of yourself uh is a liberating force but you need to have the right relationship with the per person so i'm not i'm not saying i'm not recommending people open up the lines of communication to everybody in their lives to just keep picking up on it like oh why is your hair like that why why do you always slap why are you always slouching and blah 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 why are you always doing this and this and this and this i mean that that's too much and that's going to help make people collapse but there's a kind of a sweet spot of the world giving you people giving you feedback 
and you giving other people feedback in a, in a kind of in a loving and trusting way to help lift each yeah. other up um, yeah. it's possible and it's also important because if you, you, you can't see outside of yourself um, a lot of the time you, you you only do that through relationship with other people yeah I think yeah, all of the practices and that, that I've gone on I've, they've said the same thing in different ways but the, I've talked about where I'm at with generative work and the coach state and it kind of I think what you said just reminded me of that the acronym of coach stands for centered open aware connected and hospitable so the idea of that is the first thing you need to be connected to yourself you need to be centered in yourself you need to know that where you are because quite you know from my experience with myself is i've not really been connected with myself over a lot even with the trainings that i've done it would be oh right i need to be that trainer i always remember saying to dan once it goes oh i love your work i'm going to go out and teach your work with all that enthusiasm he just looked at me and he went i teach my work you're going to teach your version and it was like oh my word i thought wow that really kind of should be that's true that's true he teaches his work i'm not going to teach his work um but it's that i'd given my away in that sense i've given my center away it was all about him and not about me um, and I've lost it in work with clients. It's, it's that you lose those boundaries. You suddenly take on, and you merge. You, you merge with what's going on for them, and you take it on, and you really feel it, and you can't shake it off afterwards. So, I think it's really important. You do need to be centered. You do need to be connected. That this is. I'm here. It's okay. I am here. You know. Can you imagine? You know, if your kids. Um, fall over or they're in trouble and it was like, oh you'll be all right I'm kind of <laughs> you know they're gonna think bloody hell yeah a, lo- hell. a lot of a, a lot of what I do uh, with my with my kids um, sometimes they get you know they're very hurt or they're extremely upset and they're just wailing you, you there's no no conversation is going to happen in that that moment and I I'm just there for them in that that way i was just like you know we don't we don't need to do anything other than just be here together and we'll let whatever's happening do what it's doing um and then it might turn into something else and then we'll be doing something else but that that kind of gets you out of that thing where you think like you have to fix things right in the instant like what's the thing we need to do you know the solution but before that moment happens it, it, what you're describing is so important and I, and in you know in the in the when you're working with people with mental health issues um i mean i can imagine that's a really important that's the first step the first thing to do with a person is just to be present and centered with them you're just two yeah. people living life together they're having a worse time than you are in this particular moment, and you're just going to be there for them. Uh, with, and, and then, who knows where it's going to go from there? But that's the the initial thing. And and, and um, I was thinking about it makes me think about 
the the average time someone spends with a GP, I think, is about eight minutes, isn't it? With a with a doctor, it's, I'm sure I heard some statistics. Yeah, about eight that. to ten minutes. Yeah. So, you know, so that's not an easy job for a doctor, <clears throat> and or a patient. You know, you go in and there's there's no time to have that moment of connecting as two human beings. <laughs> now, a GP friend of mine who's in the generative community, Mark Chambers, I'm plugging his book here, he wrote a book for GPs for doing that, that you can do it in 10 minutes. These are the things that you need to do within yourself to have that connection. I think it's called Bedside Manor, the book. Right. Bedside Manor, I'll quote by a guy called Mark Chambers, which is that, you know, this is the, the, art, of cons uh, the art of creative consultancy is the, the tag note to it. So you, you've got those short sessions, but you know, you want to be there. So it's that presence of one, you know, that, that, that say going back to it, the C is that you need to be connected with yourself and centered with yourself. And then the next bit is then that bit that you're going, then you open up, then you start to open up through yourself to say, right, I'm with you. I can open up and open up to your resources. What are the skills? What are my skills? What is my knowledge? What is my learning? What is this? How can I be present with that? And then, then what am I aware of? What am I awake to? I need to be awake. I don't want to just be narrow because they'll have a story. When you work with people with mental health, they're troubled. They're really, really troubled. They're really in suffering. You know, you, you kind of don't want to jump into their suffering. You want to be here, but be, be with them and don't get lost in their story because their story is heart-wrenching. Really got to look at what they're doing. They, you know, they're sometimes they're very disheveled. Sometimes they're beaten. They've got, they've cut themselves badly all over, and you're seeing all these wounds, and you're seeing all this distress. And it's that, yeah, I have to be present. I have to be present, and I have to, I have to kind of be with this. But is that again? What what is my intention in this? So that will come to the next bit, of the heart. This is. Where am I going with this? What direction are we going in? How do I stay centered and open, aware, and keep going where I'm going? And how do I welcome it? You know? And then share that back. Do you know when, when you said something that really, I felt a real, I felt a tightening here that, that touched me. Is that something that you feel? And I think it's just that sharing of experience, whereas quite often, we don't. So th there's uh, a lot of things in that hospitable thing is about welcoming it. You know, there's a part of me that really hates. That's great. Isn't that good to know? I'm really curious about that. You know, let, let's just welcome that part in. And even sometimes asking them to name it. I'm really anxious. So there's a part of you that's really anxious, which would be that reflective rather than saying you're anxious. There's a part of you that's really anxious. When did you first? When did when did you first notice that part? So bringing it, and I think that the the thing is, is helping people to realise that they're human. So these parts of themselves, these these expressions, we, you did, you know, you've trained in voice dialogue. You told me, and uh, the big mind process where we dissect the self. These parts, are, you know, in that 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 process that I watched a YouTube video not so long ago again of that big mind process and that that welcoming of these different parts and learning from these different aspects and parts of yourself they're just welcomed in they're not pushed back and you know and just so that they can open and not left to fester underneath and i think that's so important 
that's so I, important what, what we do i think uh meditation is is a, a skill and a practice that can really help us uh be spacious enough to be host to some of this <laughs> craziness um could, could you talk a bit about your own journey with meditation practices and I think I've tried a lot. <laughs> I, I think I, I've, I've tr tried a lot. It's, it's a, it's work meditation. And I think, I think that can get lost sometimes, you know, the people, people fall into the side effect of it, which is relaxation and quite often sleep and don't go beyond that. I think you've got to, you've got to work through that part, and I think my first taste of meditation um, I think i was I'm kind of quite lucky really it was in Japan with Dan and we was at a Zen monastery and there was a a Zen monk there and it's kind of right for me because it's like if I'm given a direction, this is how it's meant to be done this way I kind of okay let's do it and and again Dan will quite often say it in his teaching, but the Zen monk says, sit still, do not move. Bring the body to stillness and the rest will follow. So that's kind of always been that, that sticks with me, that if I'm doing a meditation, it's like, sit still, do not move. You know, you see people doing that in meditation or, I'm like, you're not meditating. And uh, I, I, it came a little bit for me, but then I learned there's, there's other ways of doing it. There's other ways of doing it. And I was just thinking, I've done the passion, I've done, done the 10 day thing. That was, I highly recommend that. I think th that, that, that still learning from that now. Um, and I'd go back and do another one. There's times I just think, wow, you know, I think well, I've done that. It's prepared me for this lockdown nicely, really. Because and at work, I can just sit at work, and there can be other stuff going on. But I'm kind of like I'm okay with it. Other people go, oh, I hate this. I've got nothing to do, and I'm like, well, there's always something to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I did too a lot with integral. There were so many different ways of doing it, but. The distilled practices work best for me. You know, those walk, the walking to the toilet, that, that's the time to meditate. That's time to feel your feet. That's the time to go there, um, even sitting on the loo. And I, and I say that to people because they go, oh, you're asking me to be mindful. I haven't got no time. I go, do you go to the toilet? <laughs> you can do it then. And it's, you know, you people say that they can't meditate, but. I noticed yesterday how the art of driving, you can put it into anywhere in life, that meditation is in life. The basic components of what you need to meditate is in life. So driving is a great one. Driving is like, like being in the, in, caught up in the chittery chattery monkey mind. You can be there in the car, you can be listening to the radio, you can be singing along to it. 
and not even be aware, just trusting the fact that your, your unconscious is doing all the work. It's all in the muscle, it's all in the memory. But then something will happen, somebody suddenly will break in front of you, and this, that, and the other, and you're there, you're on it. All of a sudden, you're present, you're in the moment, you're no longer thinking about the lyrics of the song. You're not even hearing the radio anymore, it's suddenly disappeared into the background. And that is, that's, that's really what meditation is for me. It's about that ability to sit and then just drop below here, just melt it into the body and just tune into the other stuff. You know, what, what, what's my breathing like right now? How's my breath moving in and out of my body? You know, the body awareness scans. What's, what's going on as I sweep through? Where, where's tight and where's relaxed? So you kind of start almost like driving a car through your, through your senses. But then that came to me yesterday that actually the art of driving is just really meditation. So many people go off, they switch off, they're doing this, they're in conversations on their phone, but as soon as something happens, it brings them right back, right back into the moment. I think you, you, you raised something really important there. Um, and it comes back to this thing of remembering that there's sort of two different types of meditation. One is sitting on a cushion and the other is when you're not on the cushion and you're, you know, going about life. And um, I think doing both is really important. If you only do the sitting meditation, then it's quite easy to say, you know, do an hour or whatever, sitting on your cushion, meditating, and then you forget about it the rest of the day. Whereas if you, if you supplement that with these short moments of, of awareness throughout the day, then they become more continuous. And it's like constantly remembering to be mindful, to be aware, to be focused, to tap into the part of you that's always open and uncontracted and expansive and at peace, um, you know, awake and aware that can become a habit of always remembering that more and more and more and more um, until it becomes more and more continuous. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, But if you only do the stuff where you never sit down, but when you do the sitting meditation, that's the chance to go really deep into it. Um, so I think the two practices work really well together. Um, yeah. And yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. Toilet, toilet meditation. <laughs> How many times do you go to the toilet? It's just yeah. eventually it becomes, ah, yeah, yeah. My, my bladder needs a release and uh so does my energy yeah so, yeah well, that's cool um, yeah, it could, <laughs> you know there is a lot and i kind of think you know meditation practice for me it's kind of been a lot through workshops i've done a lot of workshops and there's always a process that some form of meditative experiences even if it's working with another person you know, even just doing mirroring, let's mirror each other. It's that it's so anchors so much to the present. Um, but it's I, I think it would come from Dan. It would come from Serge. Serge in particular will say it. Um, 
in in the generative field we'll say it as well we talk about coach state and being in this optimal state and it's you know you need to practice it at least 15 times a day for it to get into into the body but you, you know that doesn't mean to say that you sit on a cushion you have to do this it's just bringing it to awareness but um serge said that the trick to life is not being centered the trick to life is knowing that you're not centered so that you can come back and i like that that mm. that talks to me that 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 talks to me could you say a little bit um about just briefly about NLP, because you, you brought NLP up a couple of times. Um, you know, and your your experience with NLP and, and, and what that did for you. It's an interesting question. So NLP appealed to me because it was really it's the study of excellence. Just for anyone who doesn't know, NLP stands for stands for neuro neuro linguistic programming. So yeah. our neuro our patterns, our linguistic and our program. So it's all really about our programming and our patterns. We hold different patterns, our values and our beliefs. You know, we have meta programs. You know, we we will talk our language. We can be some some people are very abstract in their language. You think some people are very detailed. Um, I know my father-in-law was very very detailed talker. Um, it, it was quite a bit of a running joke in the family is, oh my God, we haven't got time. Can you speed up? You know, we need to get on. Here we go. This thing that could be said in 30 seconds is now going to take an hour. <laughs> so some people are very detailed in that. So it's about recognizing that. I think externally or internally, I can be quite abstract and quite externally, I can... I flip between the two, uh, but NLP is um, it's that that study of excellence which kind of appeals to me. It looks at what works and models. The idea is about model what works. You know what what optimizes experience, what helps with that. So it just appealed to me looking into that and seeing these different ways that you can swish things that you can use imagination um and kind of interesting for me with nlp is that my teacher did it in hawaii so the nlp that i learned had a bit of a hawaiian kind of thing and the dan stuff was hawaii and then i eventually went to hawaii and then learned it from huna which kind of took it to another level really with that you know you've got a conscious mind you've got an unconscious mind but then you've got this field mind or the higher self um, kind, which is much more spiritual slant to it. So um, NLP kind of resonated with me, but it never talked to me enough to go on and just yeah uh, become a full-blown practitioner, an NLP practitioner. I'll use it. And then for me, it's the generative change. So, you know, Stephen Gilligan is kind of interesting, really. Stephen Gilligan um, was one of uh, Richard and ba um, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, who were the founders of NLP. Um, they had people that would do research for them and go out and interview and talk to these um, wonderful people that were doing successes. So I think Stephen went and um, he modelled Milton Erickson, who, in my opinion, from what I've known and read about him and 
and heard about him has got to be the the greatest therapist that's ever walked on this earth in in helping people to make change and last and he worked with the unconscious you know this i could go into milton erickson and talk but he had polio um he was enraged as a, a very young boy when he had uh, doctors telling his mum outside his bedroom door he was going to die that night he um somehow survived the night woke up in a pool of sweat but was then paralyzed for quite a while afterwards but eventually he taught himself he reimagined moving his muscles in a different way and he, t he healed himself to the best he could to do that but was color blind he could only see the color purple and um just just had this brilliant way of helping people to make really good change he, he'd welcome their world and he'd step into their world and join them and help and lead them out never ever lost his center so the stories i've heard about ericsson is brilliant and um, virginia satire who is a brilliant family therapist um very top of her game was getting great results they looked at her looked at what she did looked at her style how she worked with clients and her relationships with them they looked at um fritz pearls and gestalt therapy and how everything was a gestalt and in its whole they, they just really looked at what it was that was the best of human experiences and how you could achieve this excellence it really it was just a great wellness model but Bandler and Grinder never regulated it so it had dodgy practitioners and it got a real bad rap because people were manipulative with it unfortunately so um, Robert Diltz has got the NLP University he's used it in businesses and um, and, and growth and you know runs a lot of programs it so both Stephen and Robert's use of NLP is highly, highly ethical. Uh, well, Stephen was a relationship coach and a psych psychologist that used trance work, which is what Erickson's work is. So predominantly working with the unconscious, but not hypnotizing people. Uh, and Robert just looking at those models and looking at those patterns, you know, association, dissociation. What happens when you associate with something, you see it through your eyes. What happens when you dissociate, you can look at it, you can examine it. So um, if you look at it, yeah, look, so you can look at your behavior, come away from your subjective experience and look at it through a different lens, see what needs to be changed, how you're working with that. Um, it's a phenomenal approach uh, and used ethically, um, really helps people to turn things around. Cool. Thanks for thanks for going into that. But it, it it does mean for people if they are going to do it, they are, and it may and it can do things really quickly as well. So you don't need loads and loads of therapy with it. Yeah. But it does mean that people have got to work, and a lot of people don't want to work. They want the magic wand, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, that reminds me of um, so uh, the, the the secret is that there's no no secret. It's just hard work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not the secret people want to hear, but uh, I mean some things come for free, but um, there's there's a lot of this stuff that's just hard work. But uh, you know if you you want to get some results, that's what it takes. Everything we need is within is it within us. We just mm. need we just need people to guide us along the way. So this has been a far ranging conversation, um, and it's I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there anything that you want to, you feel that needs to be said before we wrap up? 
I would just, I think if I have to say anything, uh, it's one of the things, I think it's one of your questions, really, uh, uh, one of the questions that you sent me, really, um, would be with, or unless somebody else said it to me today. I've worked with young people and I've worked for a long time, and quite often with them it's about fitting in. It's about finding a place to belong. I don't fit in, and it's because I recognise the world wants your difference. It doesn't want your sameness. That's that is uh, almost the sort of the theme could be the motto of um, the conversations I've had with people about uh, you know this kind of journey with yeah you know, weaving this unique path um, that we can all do um, in our lives and being unique is a good thing um, and uh, bringing your unique gifts to the world is um really appropriate i think now uh, in, in in the you know i think it really fits the the time that we live in yeah well we're and all a part of, we're all a part of nature isn't it nature yeah. created us in some ways we've you know we've evolved from that that first spark yeah. whatever that spark was people call it all sorts of different things and um you know if we're not if we're not connecting to our uniqueness our differences and bringing that through the world with kindness with compassion with strength with courage without hitting people you know i always come back to gandhi really so it says be the change you want to see in the world and i'm t and i'm talking to myself a lot here and i keep having to reinforce this mm -hmm. a lot with myself and i've had you know um one of my great guides and teachers has been Gary, you know, Gary Hawk. Gary Hawk. He's yeah. athletic coaching. He's a brilliant coach. He's very, mm. very brilliant. He's right from the moment and, um, and it does challenge you and he does really hold up a big mirror to yeah. look and it can, um, but yeah, to just remind you that, and for me, kind of saying, you know, I can hear his voice saying, Paul, you, you've got it, you know, your your uniqueness is important and, mm. and I will pass that on. And I think, well, you, you are a, a, yeah. a very unique person and, and a very authentic person and, and very loving, accepting. You hold a great physical, you've got this, this very um, warm energetic field around you physically when you're with you in person you hold a space very nicely um and um <clears throat> uh and it's uh, it's been you know i i love you very much and uh and really benefited from the time we've uh, spent together and um you've got a lot of wisdom to to share from uh, all of this these are all these different you're a very well trained person you've done a lot of different trainings uh, and also all this super hardcore uh work you know for 20 years <clears throat> working with with people in some of the most extreme situations um that are not often out there in the open in our society they kind of happen behind closed doors um so yeah, you've seen a side of people that not a lot of people have seen. Uh, and there's a great generosity um, uh, that I've 
felt with you that's that's come through that exposure and working with people like that is is there um any any place that people can find out more about things you do or things you care about um well, well currently every sunday i'm doing with a friend of mine george part of the generative community that um we do a coach state practice so people can join on that it's on facebook um so it's a group you can you see you can find it if you find me you probably find the group and you so can what, ask to join what, the group what's the name of the group yeah it's a generative practice group so yeah you can just ask to join that and come in i'm on the international association of generative change I have to say that because if you put IAGC in, you'll find something they're doing that, that thinks so I'm a member on there as well because I've, I've, got, I've got the first part of the coaching thing to do that. So I've got contact de details on there. Um, and I'm in the process of setting up my website. I'm a bit slow. Um, I had an epiphany the other day and I'm going to use the word epiphany, which is a word I don't use that often. That every time I come to write in it, I keep thinking, oh, Never realised before, I'm quite sloppy, but I I have a perfectionist trait in me that um, pisses me off, to be quite honest with you. Because I, I don't see myself as a perfectionist, but if I'm doing a website, oh, I've got to get the words right, I've got to get this right. I just kind of realised I just need to be me. So I had this, uh, this came to me yesterday was that if I'm going to write on my website, do you know, for years I've been trying to say the right thing on this, but... Do you know what? I really don't know what to say, but I've got these skills. If you're interested, I can help. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing that. And I just think that's it. That, that's me. That, that, yeah. That's who I am. And it's like, yeah. I think I've got lost. If You know, I think, don't, don't, again, it comes back to that. Your, your difference is what makes the difference for mm. people. Your uniqueness is that what's do that. So, Trying not to make yourself something that you're not. If that's that was really, you are, really important in the yeah. social social media age to just, yeah, to just actually think, be brave, brave enough to be yourself. Yeah, and I, I think that's what it is. You know, you don't need this highfalutin thing. So I kind of got that now. That I'm going to get on and get that website out there as well. And um, yeah, but really for now, Facebook is the time to do it and join the coaching practice on a on a Sunday there's two of us doing it it's a great community that wants to bring creative change to the world um, and really helping people to heal and grow it's uh, everything that I thought was in integral is in generative <laughs> yeah yeah but it's, it's kind of uh, out there in the culture now in the wild and uh, coming up in lots of different ways this this particular way of integrating and generating yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. You know, Ken Wilber's stuff is great. You know, his Aquil map is brilliant. Um, but it is that's all it is is a map. Mm. Yeah, it's up to us to you fill it in live. with our own lives, isn't it? Yeah, we have to live the terrain. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's been really generous of you to give this time to this call. Um, thank you. I've really, really enjoyed it. Cool. <laughs>